0: Good afternoon. Good to see all of you here today. Let's take your Bibles this afternoon and turn to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read, uh, actually begin reading in verse 1 and go through verse 25. Romans chapter 8, beginning now at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh... But after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, for if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the Spirit of... For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. The creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. But not only they, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves grown within ourselves waiting for the adoption to it the redemption of our body for we are saved by hope but hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth why doth he yet hope for but if we hope for that which we see not then do we with patience wait for it may God add a special blessing to reading his word and let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study together. Father God, we come into your presence with thanksgiving in our hearts for what you've accomplished. We especially thank you for this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 8, seeing the work of the Holy Spirit. Father, we'd ask that you would open our minds, our hearts, that you would allow us to see just what you want us to see today. We pray for, for your overarching blessing upon all of those that are going to hear your message today. We would ask, Father, that you would uh, use it in a way that only you can see, and that you can do. Father, we'll ask for your blessing upon uh, these that are here as well. We'll thank you for all of the instruction and the, the Word of God that we can go to with a great deal of confidence. We would ask that the Holy Spirit would solely be our teacher today, that we would hear and obey what is laid out for us on this day that you've made. And now, Father, we look to you with anticipation for what you will declare as being true from your Word. And these things we ask in Christ's name, amen. Uh, Romans chapter 8 actually comes to some sense of a culmination uh, in the sense of the benefits that we have as Christians. Uh, Romans is a spectacular book. It's one that really opens up for us about salvation. The first couple of chapters literally talk about our need, uh, that we're sinners and we need the gospel. There's the sinfulness of man and there's no hope, there is no way for mankind literally to be able to to work through that. There is nothing of which we have to offer. And then uh, in chapters 3 through chapters 5, we find, in fact, that there is salvation that is offered to us in Christ. He accomplished everything that's necessary for our salvation to be made effect. Uh, And not just uh, as we say the word salvation today, there's the part of that that is literally true salvation would be eternal. Any salvation that could be short-circuited or not have eternal view in mind is really not salvation at all. Uh, salvation is God's work. It is eternal and it is fixed. And one of the things we find in chapter eight is its security and also sanctification comes through the Holy Spirit. But back for a moment as we keep going in uh, in Romans from chapter six through eight is really talking about the benefits of the gospel. In chapters 6 and 7, we see that there's some sense of a negative benefit. In other words, stating it from this position, no longer under the law, no longer a slave to sin, no longer dead, and no longer under the curse. So you see the benefits, literally, of the freedoms that we have from sin, law, and death. Now, chapter 8, which we've been studying for some period of time, uh, literally o- opens for us all that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and His work is about. It's one that uh, probably has been missed in the sense of the amazing work that the Spirit does and how it, how He secures us and sanctifies us. Those two, I mean, we want to work, mark those down today. There are literally two works that the Holy Spirit uh, does for us, and that is sanctification. That is, after we're saved, after we're justified, of which Jesus Christ accomplished the work, God devised the plan, God the Father the plan, the Son um, did the work. And then the Spirit literally is involved moment by moment, day by day, from the day that you got saved or justified all the way into eternal glory, And He is the one that empowers that whole process. But also, which we're going to start a section on today, is the sense of security that He guarantees to finish a salvation that was started through justification, and ultimately even before that, when God chose us, He called us, He saved us by justifying us, and then we will be ultimately glorified, which will be in a passage of Scripture we'll find potentially next week. Um, but if we were going to summarize, as we went through, there's about uh, four or five, maybe even six, so we'll start. But essentially, in verses 2 and 3, the Holy Spirit frees us from sin and death. That's a point that we went through in verses 2 and 3. The Holy Spirit also enables us to fulfill the law. After He's freed us from sin and death, He enables us to fulfill the law, which you find in verse 4. And then verses 5 through 11, we found that He transforms are completely changes our nature. We begin to be a completely different person. We are a new creation, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He's transforming us from the inside. And then verses 12 and 13, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, He gives us victory over sin by His power. I mean, that's the, vic- that's the key to victory over sin is the Holy Spirit's power. Last week, we looked at verses 14 through 16 in the sense of he also confirms our adoption. And we spent a great deal of time talking about the sense of how valuable he sees us and he's literally adopting us as his sons and daughters. But the other part of this as well, as we're going to come to today, as that brings us up to speed, is the, the next section that we'll be talking about is he guarantees our future eternal glory. That's what we're going to be working on today. He guarantees our future eternal glory. Um, Starting in verse 17, uh, we'll we'll just read that. It actually ties in, if you will, to what we talked about last week in the sense of adoption. It says in verse 17, and if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. To Think of that. Joint heirs with Christ. To being on the same level in the sense of relationship with Christ. And if so, If so be that we suffer with him. Now, that's one thing we like to leave that section out. But literally, um, that's one of the things that's a guarantee. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ, you've been justified and you're on the road to glory, um, that process of sanctification of which now again, the Holy Spirit lives within us. He's indwelling us. What a gift. What a powerful thing to know. But when we go through this walk, you will suffer. There will be times that literally it will be painful. There will be painful situations, painful circumstances. In fact, uh, as we continue to go here, you'll find that in verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Right there it talks about those things that are going on presently. And it doesn't take much of an imagination to realize. uh, Here we are on, uh, I think it's March 29th. And the turmoil we find not only in our country but in our world that literally has things completely disjointed and and, and almost complete upheaval, chaotic. And uh, literally, as we're going to find a term that's going to be used, I'm going to maybe just jot that down, groanings. Uh, Literally, the creation is groaning today. Uh, Think of that. There's a whole lot of groaning going on along our world today as we're struggling with the coronavirus and all of the fear and the greed and all of the things that are going with it. That literally has, uh, has torn the world to shreds, and has certainly has it in a point of upheaval. But uh, that we'll set aside for just a moment. We'll come back to that a little bit later. But one of the things it seems uh, that happens in our world, I would even say in in Christianity, is we underestimate, or maybe underappreciate, the work of the Holy Spirit. Once again, I'm going to tell you this: that the two things you jot down, the work of the Holy Spirit, is sanctification. That process of, of making you more like Jesus Christ. In fact, jump ahead with me for just a moment to uh, verse 29. We'll be coming to this probably next week. Uh, it says, For whom he did foreknow, speaking of God, he also did predestinate. This is the, the, pre, the pre-approved plan, if you will, that we are to be, watch, conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's really God's purpose for us, is to conform us to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. One of the things that we'll talk about as we end today, potentially, as Lord wills, is the fact uh, we find ourselves in a, in a world that's gone crazy, but what would Jesus do today? What if, what if Jesus was walking the earth amongst all of the issues and the things going on? We'll maybe touch on that just briefly as we come to our... Our study will come to a close today, but think about that as we even go, go forward. And um, if in, in you think about the sense of sanctification, that is conforming us to Christ, making us more like Him every day, and God loves us too much to leave us the way we are. And you know what comes with that, that that shaping and that chipping off the rough edges, that's some of that suffering, that's some of that pain that comes. But literally, as that, as he's continuing to work on us, that sanctification process, in verses 1 through 13 of Romans, that, uh, Romans chapter 8, that's what we're talking about. As we've come last week, we started in a new section, and that is the security. Uh, we started last week, again, the sense of adoption, uh, being his adopted children, uh, a crazy in the sense of that relationship, which he literally initiated and will finish. Uh, one of the things I, I will leave that for just a second, but let's go. Let's keep going now. Um, verse nineteen of chapter eight: For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the. God, of the sons of God. Uh, if you think of that earnest expectation, as you think about maybe that term, um, earnest expectation, it would be almost like, if you can think about it, I'm going to try to give you an analogy and a picture with you hearing my voice, is it's like you'd be standing on your tippy toes, looking up as far and as long, as far away as you could find, looking for something that you know is coming. You, you, you can't wait. It's, it's an expectation that is so vivid, and yet it's still not there. That is exactly the idea that Paul is giving to us now to those that literally are looking for the culmination of salvation. And this is what we're talking about today, this groaning. And let's keep going now. Verse 20, we'll come back to verse 19 in a moment. For the creature, now that's the better word for that is creation. It's not just the creature, it's the whole creation. Everything that we know of in the universe, absolutely everything, is literally, it says, did you see it? It was made, it, it was made subject to vanity not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the, I'm going to use the word creation, in itself shall also, I'm sorry, itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Uh, groaning, uh, let, if you, as you think of that word, it 's one that would almost have the sense of uh, moaning or, or just a, in, in pain almost an, an earnestness of just overwhelming sense of in your spirit now there are three, there are three things we won 't get to them all today, but there are three things or people i guess that there 's people involved and something else in the sense of groaning one we 're talking about right now is creation. Groaning, creation groaneth. Secondly, we'll be getting to that one later today, is the believer. That is, those that have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that believer literally will be groaning as well. The last one, which we'll be looking at next week, potentially, is the Holy Spirit groaneth as well. Now, all three of those particular categories deal with the same thing. It's almost as such they're yearning for what we know is coming. Creation, now, it was interesting. Did you see that? Uh, back in verse 20, it says, For the creation was made subject to vanity. Um, and if you think about that for a second, it would be uh, oh, uh, futility and an inability to reach a goal, uh, uh, an aimlessness, an emptiness, uh, uh, just something that there's, you just can't get there. It's just almost, let me, let me do this for you if you were even to take nature, as we would describe it, you have four seasons. You have spring, summer, winter, and fall. And it would seem like this is a continuum every single year. When it breaks out of winter and spring comes, it's like the earth, the creation, the whole system of nature tries to begin again. It And here comes the green grass and here comes the flowers and here comes all of the things, uh, uh, life from literally nothing. And here we go. And we're going to go now, right? We got it. And then it goes and it grows. And then you know what happens? Frost comes, fall comes, and then it's winter. And it's like, oh, well, let's try next year. And this is literally, it's the same concept, the futility of what's continuum, that creation is just under, it's under wraps in the sense of this futility you just can't get through it. The groaning and, oh, man. And, and you know what? It's so true, isn't it? It's so very true. But what are, we, what are they looking for? What, what is it, the creation says, that they're earnestly looking for something? The earnest expectation. In verse 19, it tells us it's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, you say, what in the world is that? Well, literally, again, if you talk about, if we're, if we're looking through where we're at and what happens when we become saved is the Holy Spirit literally comes within us and indwells us. He is there to take us through this level of, of sanctification, but he's also, he's the, the, the earnest or the down payment or the thing that really we can count on in ultimately securing, this is what this section's about, securing our future. As he secures our future, he is, he is literally there to provide that, that security that we need to know that it's going to end in the culmination of our full salvation. Now, the, the, the expectation of this creation is to wait for the time when we are glorified. And you say, well, what does the creation have to do with that? Well, if you think about this, there's, a couple, there's numerous places in the scripture that talks about the, the new heaven and the new earth. And ultimately, when we get to the finality, when we get to the very end of... Now, I'm talking after the tribulation, after the millennium. After all of that, and you get to the final state, the final state of of eternality, we will have a new heaven and a new earth. Now, there's a process. In fact, let's go to Psalm for a moment. Psalm chapter 102. Psalm chapter 102 and verses 25. Psalm 102, verse 25. 102 and verse 25. I'll be there in a second. I said, O my God, take me not away. I'm sorry, that's verse 24. Uh, Verse 25. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish. But thou shalt endure. Yes, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. Uh, an interesting path to three, three verses there. It talks about the very fact that creation as we know it, and, and evolution, there's not a shred of truth in that. We're not getting better. We're actually getting worse. And we're, and we're continuing to esca- uh, not de-escalate. Let's try that word. And we're, and we're continually getting to the point of Someday it will be completely, completely unraveled. In fact, let's go, as we think about that, turn to Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter, chapter three. And I'd like you to see a passage of Scripture you may be very familiar with, but nonetheless, we'll just look at it again, as this creation is literally awaiting a day that it will be redone, if you will, renovated, to be restored. Second Peter, chapter three. And let's look at uh, verse we'll actually start in verse eight. Verse 8, it talks about uh, God's particular desire that all would be, would come to repentance. Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Uh, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now watch. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Now, the point of that was literally saying, there will come a time of, I'm going to use this word, it's going to be uncreated. Just as God created everything, by it's literally going to it would be an explosion of atoms, and the whole thing is going to probably completely be and, and to what to what degree that he's going to does he start completely over? That's actually a question that maybe we can't be absolutely positive. But I'm going to say this: it's completely restored, completely renovated. All of the things that are literally holding it back from being what it's yearning—remember, on their tiptoes—to see what it is that it ultimately wants to be. By the way, why is it what it is today? Why are we unraveling? Why is it not? what we would think that God would create. Because let's go back to Genesis for a minute. Genesis chapters 1 through 3. And if you think about this, this whole thing of this groaning of creation and of believers and of the Holy Spirit literally groaning, you know what it is? Um, The Holy Spirit literally is going to tie together the first three chapters of Genesis with the last three chapters of Revelation. That whole in-between time is the time of emptiness and aimlessness and their just sin has completely rampaged everything that we know of this creation. But what was it when God created it? Genesis chapter 1 through 3 talks about, well, in fact, let's go to chapter 1. You're probably already there, but I'll be there in a second. I think we'll turn to like, oh, I'm going to like chapter 1 verse 31, maybe something in that neighborhood. Let's try that. God is making stuff. He's creating it. That's a better word. And let's look at how he describes it at the end of chapter 1. Verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now, think of that for a second. Everything. Now, this is the same thing we're talking about in Romans chapter 8. The creation here is, it's groaning, it's in travail. And literally the word there too is, we haven't even talked about this so far, but to, to be in travail, it's the, it's the sense of a woman giving birth to a child. It's different in just having a groaning or a travailing in the sense of no future. Really, literally, the pain, that travail that a woman has is literally a joyful end in having the beginning of a new baby, a new child. It's the same thought that Paul is laying out for us because ultimately, in the end, that groaning of the creation being completely restored, and as a believer to be gaining that eternal glory, there's an end of which it was... Unbelievably glorious. Now, God said the creation was very good. Very good. So, what happened? What happened to this universe that's literally beyond our parameters of even understanding? It's so big, so wide, so gigantic, no one knows its extremities. So, what happened? Do you know, literally, it was two people on planet Earth in one place that literally everything started to unravel. Everything started to unravel. In fact, Are you guys still in Genesis? Let's go to um, hold your place in Genesis, but flip back for me in uh, Romans chapter eight, and I want you to see who's responsible for what we are today. Verse twenty. Again, using creation instead of the word creature; it's it's more it's a more full word that describes what Paul was after. For the creation was made subject to vanity; it was made subject to vanity. How? Not willingly. Obviously, it that wasn't of itself. It's, it's almost held captive, if you will. How? By the reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Who is that? That's God. Now, let's turn to, to Genesis chapter 3, and let's watch. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. Let's see here. I've got to find where I'm at. Genesis chapter 3, and let's start in... Uh, I'll tell you what we should do. Let's just start in verse 8 because this is the unfolding of the judgments. Uh, They have sinned. Now, you know the the story. Uh, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. Everything's perfect, literally perfect. God said it was really good. If God says it's really good, unbelievable. It was as good as you could make it because God made it. And then they chose by themselves to go against against God's will and against his, His truth. They partake of something that they were asked not to. And that's literally called sin. They have disobeyed God. Now, in verse 8, it tells us that it's right after this. And they're filled with fear. Imagine that. And they heard the voice, verse 8, of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called on Adam and said unto him, Where are you? And he said... I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that thou wast naked? Have you eaten of the tree where I have commanded you that you should not eat? The man said, The woman thou, which whom thou gavest to me with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent, serpent beguiled me. He tricked me. He deceived me. That's the idea. And I did eat. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, and for, for dust thou art, and unto dust till thou return. So you can see what happened right there. As a result of sin, literally, God cursed the creation. This isn't by accident. As a result of sin, think of the diabolical part of that. Even today, as we, we go to our world today, think of, even think of the coronavirus. Literally, it, it acts very much like sin did, as we talked about last week, and some of you very well may know this, but uh, a virus um, has within it no ability to to remake itself or to expand or to multiply it. It has no machinery within it or mechanisms that allow itself to replicate. So what it does is it's, it's a structure that has within it either DNA or RNA, but it's surrounded with protein, which a living, healthy cell would see as very welcoming. That's food to that cell. But very deceptively, it comes to receptor site and tricks or tries to trick The living cell, which has the machinery, the devices, the mechanisms, can can replicate the virus. That sounds just like sin, doesn't it? It sounds exactly like sin. It's deception at every level. And God, as a result of sin, cursed the universe, cursed creation. And it is continuing from that day forward all the way, if you will, if you follow the the biblical story, we'll get to the last three chapters of Revelation where God says, now I'm going to fix it. Now it's going, to be, it's going to be done. And that's what creation, even, and again, there's some metaphor here, but at the same time, the whole, it, the whole creation travail, it's, it's a joint effort of travailing together, yearning for the day when the glorification and salvation of mankind will happen. And when that happens, literally, at the finality, when eternity literally, if you will, it begins. I yeah? think,
1: you think uh, you mentioned groaning. You know in my own life, our own life, when we've been in sin, the shame that we feel, the groaning until we realize that God has forgiven us, but the groaning that Adam and Eve must have felt having walked with God in the garden, the rest of their lives, the groaning they must have sensed of where they were at that point, where they were, where they were and now where they are. That, that the groaning, that must yeah. Be we have
0: we have no idea of imagining that. See, so we're on this side of the fall or this side of the sin, and 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 it's bad enough, right? We're groaning. In fact, we'll be getting that into a moment. The sense of the groaning that we are involved in—we have no concept. We have no concept. And it says that Adam was afraid the day before he was literally walking with God in the garden, in the quietness of an afternoon. How beautiful is that? And they, they, knew, they knew what perfect fellowship was. And I'm, I'm using that word carefully. Perfect fellowship with God.
1: Do you think they did those sense? In my own life, you, without sensing God's forgiveness, there's a shame that can control you. you think Adam and Eve sensed the forgiveness with God throughout the past? Right? The,
0: the, immediacy, the, the immediacy of the shame and the guilt was overpowering. That's why they hid. That, I can't imagine... I, I, see, to know what it was to be perfectly clean, see, we, we are born with it, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. That, that sin virus is so contagious that ever, essentially outside of Jesus Christ, every single person ever born after Adam and Eve, and they were created, every single one has been born with the sin virus. It's that contagious. But they were not born with it. Now, did they, they, they have a sense of forgiveness? You know, we're not. there's not a lot told about it, but the one thing that God did say is the fact that from Eve <clears throat> there would be a Redeemer. It, it, it's, it's kind of hidden in that, but there, through her, through the woman, would come literally the Redeemer, the one that would take care of this business. Now, God wasn't, oh, now what in the world am I going to do? What are you thinking, Adam? I don't even know what to do with you now. I, I mean, we're, we're out of... I'm out of... I, I don't have anything to play. You, you messed up. You sinned. I've I got to start over. No, he doesn't say that. He knew it. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, from the foundation of the world, God had a plan. He knew this because he's God. He's, he has foreknowledge. There's nothing that has ever escaped his attention because he's known everything that could be possible to know at all times before it happened or even after it happened because he's eternal on either side. I don't know if they could have ever really gotten back to what it was like Even though they would have felt God is in charge, they're doing what God wants them to do, they went out, they were fruitful, they multiplied, they worked the ground, he's literally, what's he doing? I'm going to say, I think Adam is groaning. How would you like to come home to to, to Eve? How'd it go? How'd it go, honey? Oh, just pulled a bunch more thistles. Because he wouldn't have any chemicals. You know, we weren't working on that yet. Just think of it, we would not even have to have a chemical. That's crazy, isn't it? No sprayers, no chemicals, no nothing, right? I know
1: that, but the (coughs) The shame, <clears throat> sin can, without knowing the forgiveness of Jesus right? shame can just destroy it.
0: Absolutely. Now, let me, let me take this to another level. This is one of the things that probably, even in this coronavirus, that probably plagues most people, is not necessarily them getting it, but them giving it to someone else. Okay. Now, let me, let me share this. It just came into my mind right now. I can't imagine what it would have been like for Adam and Eve to watch their son Cain kill Abel, all because they sinned, Adam and Eve. If they hadn't sinned, Cain would have been a great child. Now, again, I, I, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to say that. You, you know what I'm it's saying? Our, our. Yeah, yeah. It, it's still because everyone would still sin the way just the way we're just the way we're made. But God knew that, and He set up the perfect plan. But I'm telling you, there must have been some nights with Adam and Eve saying, "I, can't, I just can you? I just there's no words, and it would have been overpowering." Now, whether they felt. Um, what's the right word? Um, I can't use redeemed because uh, it really wasn't... Per- but to be at the sense where they were at, at ease with God, that they were in fellowship with God. I don't know if it could have ever been the same. I don't think it could be, literally. Literally. But, you know, you can see that they followed God. I mean, they received what he, what he gave to them, but I can't imagine that. I have no way of describing that, ultimately. I have no way of describing that.
1: That would be a good a definition for growing.
0: Totally, 100%. And see, it started right there. That's why we can say, well, where did this groaning start? Was it in the 1900s? Was it during the Black Plague in the 1300s, which literally wiped out millions? That was a time that probably the earth felt it was coming to an end, civilization. That was beyond belief, the plagues in the 1300s. Unbelievable. They must have, but was it there? No, it was before that. Was it when Jesus Christ hung on a cross and we saw his life ending? I mean, the disciples, they were groaning then because they saw the effects of sin, they didn't really understand that Jesus Christ was bearing the whole weight of all of the sin of all of the world for all of the time that men and women would would populate this earth, even into the future, for who knows how long. He wore that. They didn't really know, but they saw their Savior that was hanging on a cross, being crucified, and thinking, it's over. That was our best shot! And literally all it was was the end of the beginning. Did it start? No. it It started right there, exactly where you said, that groaning started at that very instant millisecond that Eve partook of that fruit and disobeyed God. That's, that's, that's the seriousness of sin today. So It's a word that's not used in our culture today. It's not used in our world, literally. Nobody wants to talk about sin. That's the thing we should be afraid of. That's the thing that we should be respecting God for. But... The really cool part is is he provided everything that's necessary. Not to just get started on How, would, how wouldn't that be good? I'm going to start you on the road to salvation. This is God speaking. I'm going to start you on the road. You've got to keep it up. You're going to have to take care of business. But I'm going to get you started. That's not salvation at all. Salvation is the whole thing. And yes, we are looking earnestly, right, to that day. But literally, it's going to happen because the Holy Spirit, coming back to our text, the Holy Spirit guarantees that we will be saved and securely placed in glory. That's fantastic. That is absolutely fantastic. Anything else along that line?
1: Only that, Adam and Eve, is this representation of me and you and the ones that are here? That's right.
0: Absolutely. There would have been no difference. There would have been absolutely no difference. Yep. And, and literally, at the time when sin entered, it's, it's like a plague. In fact, uh, you're, if, are you back in Romans? Just turn back to chapter 5. If you're not, turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. I, I want you to see uh, the contagiousness of it. You know, we, we, and it's, it's interesting we find ourselves today at this passage in Romans chapter 8, and it fits perfectly, literally, of what's going on in our world today. Uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man, that's Adam, sin entered into the world, and death by sin And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Oh my goodness. See, and that right there is where it all started. The groaning started right there. Just exactly at that point in time. And creation really has been in slavery to the corruption which has come as a result of sin. Let's see, we went to, we already went to Psalm 102, haven't we? Yep. Let's go now to... uh, to not only the creation groaning, but also the believers groan. Let's go back to Romans for a minute. Romans chapter 8, and let's read verse 23. Let me just, again, with this in mind, with what's just happened, let's, let's go back to verse 19, and we'll, we'll pick it up, and then we're going to look at verse 23. For the earnest expectation, again, that's that, that's that looking in, in, on your tiptoes, of the creation, waiting for the manifestation, or waiting for the time when the salvation... I want, again, I want to just pound that home. Everything is waiting on this, when we have the ultimate culmination of salvation. That's where the Holy Spirit is securing this travel, and when the, when we become, literally, receiving our inheritance. Last week, we talked about the adoption of saints, or the adoption of, of us. Adoption is that position, but, you know, the adopted ones really don't, receive inheritance when they're adopted it's the same as us we're adopted positionally we are fellow heirs we can call jesus christ i'm sorry we can call god abba father daddy that intimate term which we went back to last week in mark and we saw that literally when jesus christ is at probably the lowest moment if there was ever a moment that Jesus would have feared, which I'm not suggesting he did, but it's probably the lowest, the most vulnerable moment for him ever, was just before he was betrayed. He knew that, that, his, that his death was, was, it was just, it was right there, it was obvious, it was hours away, and when he was literally sweating drops of blood. In fact, let's go back there again. It won't hurt us at all. Let's go to uh, Mark. Hold your place in Romans, but let's go back to Mark chapter 14. And let us look at this uh, this verse as it unfolds for us. Romans, I'm sorry, Matthew, okay, Mark. You just go to Mark. I'll get there. I'll get my mind shaped up. Um, Mark chapter 14, and I believe it's like verse 36. But let's start in verse 32. Mark chapter 14, verse 32. They came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, sit here. Now, this is after the Last Supper. They've walked to this garden, and now he's saying, sit here while I pray. Now, there. There's, a, there's something that's also important. Now, Jesus Christ is just hours away, and probably not even hours, away from being betrayed. What's he spending his last moments doing? What is he doing? He's praying. Boy, that's, there's a message. What? Now, again... Jesus is our perfect example. What is ultimately God trying to do with us? Conform us to the image of his son. So let's watch what Jesus does. Verse 33. He taketh with him Peter and James and John, began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. Again, I, I have no idea what that would feel like, what he was going through, the terrible emotions that he would have been suffering at that point, knowing what's coming. And he said unto them, verse 34, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Stay here and watch. And he went forward a little, fell on the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, but nevertheless not what I will, but what thou wilt. Now, again, I, I love this because just go back to Romans chapter 8. Let me read verse 15 for you, having just read that. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you have not received, speaking of believers, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear... But you have received the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, or can cry, what? Abba, Father. Just as Jesus Christ, God the Son, actually was crying, Abba, Father, that intimate relationship between God the Father and himself, we have, what did it say? We're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We are on the same level of communication as Jesus was with the Father. I, I don't know how to put that in any other words. That is amazing. And that's when you trust Christ as Savior. That's a benefit package that comes with it. Now, let's go back to... Are you, you're in Romans now, right? Okay, I, I got hung up, as you notice. Where did I stop before I was going to keep going? Um, da, 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 da. I think I just read verse 19, right? Okay, let's read verse 20 then. For the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly. You know, it wasn't set on an aimless, empty pathway, willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. In other words, God subjected creation to this less than fulfilling role, and in hope. Did you see it? The last two words there. in hope there's a future. This isn't going to last forever. Groaning does not last forever. Travailing does not last forever. Just as we likened it to that of a a woman giving birth, there's a, a joy that happens at the end. And he's saying the same thing here. Verse 21, because the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption unto the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Now watch verse 23. And not only they, speaking of creation, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. Now it's not waiting for adoption. You'll say, what, what do you mean, waiting for adoption? I thought we were adopted. Yes, but you've not received your inheritance. We're looking on tiptoes at the end, seeing where we're going to have glory to fulfilling that salvation to its fullest extent. So we are groaning. Uh, would you not say that the world today, the believers, are groaning? You better believe it. You know, there's ones that will lose loved ones as a result of this, of this vicious thing that's played. And it's not going to be the last one, potentially. In fact, you go to the book of Revelation, uh, there are people that are asking, is this literally, is this, is this virus, is this pointing to the end of, of, the, of, of the revelation? I don't, I don't believe that it necessarily is. But there are, as you get into the last days and the tribulation period, I'm going to tell you something. There are numerous plagues and afflictions that literally will wipe out large parts of the population. And this is just, I'm not trying to minimize the pain and the groaning, right? I mean, this is, it's amazing how this passage just shows up today on March 29th. You know, we're literally, I mean, we've shut down the country because of a result of literally sin. It's, that's what it, it's a result of sin. And here we are. But you know what? There's an end to it. There's an end to it. God is no less in control. He's still for us. He's here. He's with us. But to think of the groaning that is taking place across our nation today is is magnificent. It's power. It's overpowering. But with that in mind, now let's turn back to Romans chapter 7. I want you to see how a believer is groaning, and it's Paul that literally is saying that. And uh, if you haven't read Romans chapter 7 for a while, do that. Uh, Start in like verse 15. Read through the end of that chapter, verse 25. But I want to just dial into you. Look at this. This is Paul writing. This is Paul the Apostle. The super, the super apostle. Verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Sounds like groaning to me. There's Paul. He's groaning. He's struggling. Turn back to Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 4. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 4. For we, are you, 2 Corinthians chapter five and verse four says this: For we that are in this tabernacle, that's like this tent we're in, this body. See this body that you guys are wearing uh, that that you're that the real you is is inside of. That is nothing more than a tent, a tabernacle, if you will. It does groan, being burdened, not for that. We would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. In in other words, he's looking for the opportunity when, again, what? He's looking forward to the day when we will get our resurrected body and get rid of this tent, this thing that's holding us back from the full glorification of which God has designed and will will do. Uh, Psalm chapter 38, Psalm chapter 38 and verse 9. Psalm 38, 9. Uh, David he had such a way with words. The Psalms are so powerful in how they describe a God that David knew so personally. A man after God's own heart as he's described. Uh, Psalm chapter 38, verse 9. Lord, all of my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. And we know David, remember, but think of him and the sin of which he got captured. He got nabbed into. It was it was a again. It was all deception. If you noticed, sin is so deceptive. It's just literally like the first one with Adam and Eve. It just goes it's just continuum, isn't it? And David, the groaning, the waxing of his bones it talks about was just uh it was horrible. It was horrible. The believers are groaning as well. Let's go to uh 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and let's see what Peter the Apostle talks about in the sense of inheritance. I, it, it really flows nicely here as we. Um, I think I've got this right. Let's see. Yeah, there we go. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 3. He gets it right out of the box. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, it says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, just pause there for a second. You know, it's all based on this. Our hope is based on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If he had not risen, I'm going to tell you, we got no hope. The Bible's a lie. It's a fraud. If, Jesus was still, if somebody could produce the bones of Jesus Christ, it would totally destroy Christianity. There'd be nothing. We wouldn't need to be here. We need not even be talking about it. You might as well throw the, garb- the Bible in the garbage. Some people today take, some people they think, they think part of the Bible is true and then others. Well, that, that doesn't really apply. I don't want to read that. I want to just take the stuff that I like. And, that, and that's true. That's true for me. That's hogwash. Either the Bible's true or it's not. It's either true or it's not. Now watch verse 4. Watch. I sh- ah, I, let me, let's go back and read it and start again. Verse 3. Chapter one, first Peter, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten or made us alive again unto a lively hope, a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. And you say, yeah, what reserved in heaven for you. See, we don't have it yet. It's still, it's reserved there. It's not defiled, it's not corruptible, verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, noting that our, our inheritance is what we're waiting for. What is that inheritance? To be fully glorified, to be coming the full salvation. Again, I want to say this, this is very clear. If you have a salvation today that you can lose, if it's a salvation that you're not sure if it will last in the end, it's probably not salvation from God. God guarantees salvation to be complete and full and eternal. Anything less than that, it's not God's salvation. I don't want it. I want something when I'm saved, I'm saved. And that's what God wants for you, and that's how he's literally brought it to us. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians for a moment. 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 15. I have to pick through this a little bit. I didn't write any... Let's see here. uh, Let's start at verse 51. I'm going to read it out of the NLT. Um, You can just follow along or listen to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll start reading in verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. Not maybe, will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin, is the, for sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives, gives sin its power. But thank God He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. If there is ever a time that that verse is pertinent, right now, as we find all of the fear and all of the things that are plaguing our nation, and the world for that matter, this is the time for us. To be strong and immovable, working enthusiastically, especially in regards to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what we're doing, essentially, if you think about the fact of we're going from grace to glory, and the Holy Spirit is the power behind all of that. He is front and center. He's taking us from grace that moment that we've trusted Christ who did the work of salvation. He's the one that accomplished it. He redeemed us. And God said, that's good enough. It was proven by the Holy Spirit raising Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection proved that that sacrifice once and for all was good for eternal salvation. From that point, grace then, beginning of that, all the way through to securing us into the glory from grace to glory, the Holy Spirit is really the power of the Now Now, most of us, that was kind of left out. It was all about God, but literally, this is what we need to be thanking the Holy Spirit for. He is the power that lives within us. He dwells within us. He is the one that we yield to. That we essentially are able to go from grace sanctification. The sanctification process from grace to glory. See, we've missed that. There's a lot of churches just don't. They don't. They don't say that. And you know why? You know why we're not as effective as? Are we short of power? Did we not get enough Holy Spirit? Did we need to get some more? Do we need to add? No. It's all there. We just don't know. How are we not conscious enough to yield to the indwelling Holy Spirit? The more we yield, the more power we get from Him. The more power we get from Him, the more victory we have over sin. The more victory we have over sin, that process of sanctification, He continues. He, God, continues to build us up and gets us more ready, more polished, more conformed to the image of His Son, that literally we can't. It's just, it's almost this. You, you know, again, we're, we're in hope. We're looking at our tiptoes to see where we're going to go. And I tell you what, the more that you yield to the Holy Spirit, the more you cannot wait. You cannot wait. It's an earnest expectation, as it says here. So, as we're going from grace to glory, are we going to make it? Well, let's go back to our text. I've got to get back to Romans. You do the same, please. Romans chapter 8. And let's look now at verse 23 once again. Let's read it. And not only they, speaking of creation, but ourselves... Believers also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. What, what, is this, uh, what is this first fruits of the Spirit? Is that like, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, kindness, and such. There is no law. Is that it? Is that the fruits of the Spirit? No. No, no. In fact, we, as believers, the first fruit we get of salvation is what? The Holy Spirit. In fact, let's go to Ephesians. This would be a good time to do that. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go there. Hold your place in Romans. We'll be right back. Romans chapter 1. And let's look at verses 13 and 14. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says this. In whom, speaking of Jesus Christ, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that, you believed, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Did you see how this language fits beautifully back in Romans chapter 8, verse 23? Let's read that again now. And not only they, verse 23, chapter 8 of Romans, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. In the meantime, you know what? You got the, this is your down payment to prove that salvation will be complete. It will be culminated in the glorification. You know how we know? The Holy Spirit lives within us. He was the down payment. He was the first fruit. Okay, now those of us in agriculture, oftentimes, let's say you can look at a cornfield. Uh, or in a wheat field, in our case, we're not very good at corn farming here. Uh, we don't get enough heat, right? Uh, we've got to go back east or do something different. But anyway, in wheat field, you know, we'll look at it. We'll, uh, we'll plant it. We'll fertilize it. We'll, we'll uh, grow it, irrigate it. You know, you do use everything. You're, you're trying to get as much as you can get out of it. But, you know, until you really put a combine into it, the first fruits, that first, let's see what's out here. But it's amazing, once you get into a crop that you have no idea about, after you've, not the first fruits, that first part of a day, that first, it doesn't take long, does it? And you say, we pretty much know where that's going to be. You know what? That's the same idea. When we have the first fruit of the Holy Spirit, the down payment, the earnest, the seal of the Holy Spirit, that's just the beginning of what's to come. That's why we're groaning. That's why unbelievers aren't groaning. They have no idea what the Holy Spirit is to them. They don't have a clue because they don't have Him. Think of that. To have the first fruits, the very first thing we have is literally God Himself, God the Holy Spirit living within us. That is magnificent, and that's what He's saying right here. That's literally why we're groaning, is because we know there's so much more to come. He's the first installment, if you will. He's the seal, the down payment, the first fruits of a crop that we that we have the the opportunity to, to, to know and to have. Now you're saved. How are you saved? Again, if there's someone who's hearing my voice today, uh, the, these things that we've talked about—if you've not trusted Christ as Savior—I uh, am just—you have no idea what I'm talking about. You don't have a clue. You don't have anything. You got to start back in Romans chapter one. Start there and find out the sinfulness of man and the condemnation that will be yours if you continue to stay in sin. But the really cool thing is God has the perfect cure for the sin virus, which we talked about last week. It's Jesus Christ. He accomplished the work that God the Father gave as a plan for salvation. And if you accept Christ and the gift that He said, that He gave by faith, you are saved. By faith through grace. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. Okay? But you're also saved in hope. Never heard that before, have you? Well, maybe you have. You're saved by faith. You're saved in hope just as we're groaning and we're hoping because it's based upon what the indwelling of the holy spirit which absolutely guarantees and seals our future we're in that hope that lively hope that peter we just read that's the hope that literally we're saved into the culmination of salvation completely is we're not only saved in by faith by faith we're saved in hope magnanimous truths that the scripture lays out for us Saved by faith, saved in hope. Salvation is not yet full. In fact, uh, Romans chapter 13, just turn a couple pages over, Romans chapter 13 and verse 11 says this, And that, knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, I'd say that, for now is our salvation nearer, than when we believe. That's, about, that's all I can tell you right now, is you're just a little bit closer. When you trusted Christ, whether it was a year ago, a day ago, a month ago, or 10 years ago, or 30 years ago, or 40 years ago. Today, uh, March 29th, 2020, we are nearer to our fulfillment of salvation than we've ever been, but we're not there. We're still yearning earnestly. We're looking up in hope that's lively, as Peter would have said it, looking for the culmination. The Holy Spirit is holding us, securing us, and causing us to have a persevering hope with which we can't hardly wait for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, in in view of where we are with our nation being, I mean, what do we do in the meantime? <laughs> you know, I mean, with earnest expectation, I'm, I mean, I'm looking even more so than I've ever looked, right? And the uncertainty of the future right now. Does the future look like? We don't know, do we? Well, just consider this: how much our lives have changed just from three weeks ago. It's wild. I mean, we're, on a, we're on a roller coaster. And at this rate, what's going to be in three, three more weeks? We don't have any idea. And see, that's where all of the fear that has gripped our nation and literally all of—I think of—I thought of the—and uh, it's so amazing. You know, we can criticize the Israelites, right? So they come out of Egypt. Things are going, you know, pretty well, because you, you escaped Egypt. The Egyptians literally gave you all, all their jewels, all their stuff, and said, just get out of here. You guys have killed us. And then they walk up, and here's the Red Sea. And here comes the Egyptians. Oh, well, we're dead meat. This ain't going to work out. And God just splits that baby. They walk through on dry ground, and then it comes down and drowns all the Egyptians. I'd say you're on the right path, okay? That would mean we're going in the right way. But it was, did, did you notice every little step of the way, when it got a little bit tough, a little bit of toughness, a little bit of suffering, a little bit of stuff. Wine, 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 wine. And you know, it's easy for us to walk, to take a step back and we say, Man, those guys were whiners, right? They just always look up, we're just like them. Now, for instance, do you remember, uh, well, let's go to Exodus chapter 16. Maybe turn there for a moment. Exodus chapter 16. And one of the things that I, I would like to start with, as you're turning there, what would Jesus, if Jesus was here today, what would he be doing? What would he be doing? I think the first thing he would really tell us to do is, just trust God. Just trust God. We'll come back to a passage in that regard. But let me... Let me let, are you, you're there. I need to get there. Exodus chapter 16, I think I'm right. Um, there's an event, a, a, a struggle that they've uh, encountered, and it's called food. They don't have enough food, or at least from their perspective, they're concerned that God is not going to take care of them. Uh, Exodus chapter 16, and uh, we'll start in verse 2. It says this, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured, that's whining, complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Hmm. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them, that's test them, whether they will walk in my law. In other words, will they really believe me? Okay, And and you can read the rest of that chapter for yourself, but literally what he's doing, he said, Moses, just, just go tell the people, I'm going to take care of their hunger. It's literally going to rain bread in the morning, and you're going to have quail in the evening. Now, there was a couple of stipulations. He says, when I rain enough toilet paper on a Monday, don't take any more than you need for Monday. You see where I'm going with this. He said, when I give you this manna in the morning, you're supposed to get one omer. That was what the, that's what God had asked. He said, pick up one omer. No more, because that's enough for one day. That's enough for that day. And tomorrow... There will be that day. Are you going to trust me with tomorrow from what I give you today? Oh, you know what they did, some of them, right? Oh, wow, look at this. We got food. Let's get as much as we can. And you know what happened to it? It rotted. For what they needed, it was good. What they didn't need for the next day, who were they trusting? Where was the security? We've got on the board here from a, a group meeting we had, we have fear and greed, which are the two emotions that literally you cannot make a right decision. It's impossible. And if our security is anything other than God, guess what? Fear and greed will rule us. It will just take us over. Where do you, where do you think the Israelites were at? Did they really trust God? <laughs> they were happy for the bread, but they didn't trust him for tomorrow. They were just, well, let's get some more. Now, the really cool part was this they this find interesting. So then you got, you kind of you get them learned to that. You know what I mean? So Monday, I don't know what day this started on. I don't have a clue. I'm just For me, it's probably... First day, which would be actually a Sunday to them, right? So he says, now, the day before the Sabbath, it's all in this chapter. I'm just just kind of tying it all The paraphrasing. The day before the Sabbath, what you need to do that day is you go out and grab enough for two days, and it won't rot. It'll be good. Well, you know what happened. Jack and Jill, they went out on the Sabbath to find, and there wasn't any. Wasn't there. Hadn't followed God's rules, hadn't followed His truth. Didn't trust him. Didn't count on him. Do you see the similarities between people today in 2020 and back there? It's the same. We're the same. We're just, we, we, we so easily deceived, so easily distracted. So one of the first things I think God would, or Jesus would say is here, have faith. Let's go to Mark chapter five for a moment. Mark chapter five and verse 36. Interesting uh, passage of scripture here. Mark chapter five, verse thirty-six. Jesus Himself is on the scene. Uh, Much, I would say, maybe even a worse situation, more dire. Um, Let's start in verse thirty-five of Mark chapter five. What we have here is we have a ruler of the synagogue, and he has come to Jesus to have Him come and heal his daughter. While he yet spake. Now Jesus is actually talking to a woman that had touched his clothes and literally had been healed as a result. And while he was speaking, verse 35 of chapter 5 of Mark it says, "There came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain, and those, these are people that have come to this man to tell him this: Your daughter is dead. Why trouble you the master anymore? The master being Jesus. In other words, he's come to try to get Jesus to come home and heal. He had faith in Jesus. Okay, but then they come. What's he going to do with that? What are you going to do with that now? Huh? Right?" Watch what Jesus responds to him to say. Now, that's about as bad as it gets. When you've lost a child in your family, it doesn't get a lot worse than that. Now, Jesus said this to this man. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue. The same man, he said, be not afraid, only believe. Now, if those, those, those five words really literally can change this nation. Now, first of all, you need to believe what God said about salvation, that you're a sinner, you're lost, you can't be saved without me, I have a plan. You need to trust Jesus Christ as being that reward, not that reward, it's not a reward, is it? That gift of salvation, and then it's all yours. He's also telling us as believers to just believe. Now watch, verse 37. And he suffered or allowed no man to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. He cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult in them that wept and wailed greatly. And I, I don't know if you knew this or not, but in that day and age, you would actually hire professional mourners. Think of that. What do you do for like, oh, I go out and wail and, and, and weep at, at funerals. I mean, they pay me, you know, 50 bucks a day. I don't know what they paid them, but you know, how would you like to have that career? That would be kind of a downer, wouldn't it? And so here is this group, and they're they're actually been paid to mourn for this little daughter, this little girl that was that was dead. And uh, when he came in, he saith unto them, "Why do you make this ado and weep? The damsel, the girl, is not dead, but sleepeth." And they laughed him to scorn. And when they had put them all, by the way, would have you done any different? When's the last time you saw a dead girl? That wasn't she's dead. She's dead, right? And he said, "No, she's just sleeping." What are you, an idiot? You know, you could just see it. On it would be the same thing here today. He taketh, after putting them out, there was no sense in having them there, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel. Now, again, where do you think the father is in all of this? He has just went to find Jesus, and before he could talk to him about this girl, someone came up, she's dead, don't bother him anymore. And then Jesus said, only believe. I'm sorry, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, believe. I I can't think of five better words than what, what Jesus said to them. It would be just as pertinent on this day as well. Anyway, and they entered in where the damsel was lying, verse forty, verse forty one it says, And he took the damsel, the girl by the hand, and said unto her, Uh I've never actually seen which is Talitha Kumai. I don't think that's right, but it's interpreted, which is I've I've always said damsel or I say unto thee, Arise. Arise. And straightway, the damsel rose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years. And they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged him straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given to her to eat. And you say, yeah, that sounds really cool, because, yeah, if Jesus was here, he could do that. But we can't do that. If he's not here, what it... Oh, no. I oh, want to listen carefully. The really cool part of this is, is the fact that just as Jesus raised that young girl of 12 years old to a physical, the Holy Spirit is guaranteed that we will eternally have life because of what Jesus did when he was here. Think of that. That's, and but what's the key? Do not be afraid. Trust. Do not be afraid. Believe God. The second thing that I believe that Jesus would be very good about is the fact of loving your neighbor. Um, I just can't imagine that he wouldn't have, if you watch him walk through the crowds, think of those with leprosy. He went where the need was. He shared and he cared. That's something we can do even from within our homes. We, we have so many devices now for us to be able to reach out to people that need us, that need our help, that need our assistance. Praying. Uh, there was actually a, um, a guy that called me, I think it was on Thursday or Friday. And, and you could just tell he was down. And he spoke of the fact that his wife just needed prayer. So what did we do? we got a God that listens right then. I said, let's pray right now. So we prayed. Isn't that cool? (laughs) Jesus would be doing a lot of it. And we've already talked about Jesus Christ. Here he is just a few hours before he's betrayed, just a few hours before he's literally going to be crucified. And who's he talking to? God. He's praying to God. There would be a whole lot of prayer. I can see Jesus Christ praying it just like he always did, just like he was here. The other thing I think he would be very resonant, he would really want us to resonate around the fact is think about important things. You know, there's a whole lot of people a month ago where, I mean, you know, the stock market was just hovering around 30,000. I don't even, did it ever crack through it? it? It was close, right? It was like 29 something. And I mean, people were, I mean, they're on a high because why? That's where their security is. And, and you see, if your security is and it crashes... Oh my goodness, right? That's why we've got fear and greed, because our security blanket just evaporated, got burnt up, it's trashed. But if we seek the kingdom of God first. Jesus said, All let's let's go to Matthew chapter 6. I think we'll find it there. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. Focus on the important things. I know Jesus would say that. Remember that rich young ruler? That rich young ruler. He said, What do I need to do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, What did he say? First of all, he said, you know, keep all the commandments. Oh, I've done that since, since I was a little kid, right? I, I got that. What else do I got to do? He says, well, sell all your stuff and give it to the poor. Oh, where was his security? In his wealth. What do you think that happened? Well, he walked away. His greed, he could not get past it. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, thinking or focusing on important things. Verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. You know the other thing I'm sure that Jesus would say to us, even I mean especially in America, is as tragic as there's there'll be there'll be losses, there'll be there'll be hurt, there's gonna be pain, there's gonna be suffering, all of those things. But you know what he would still say? Be thankful. Praise God's name, be thankful. There's something somewhere that you can be thankful for. There's something that God is so good to you. And if nothing else, that's what this is about today. Literally to think about, we have been given the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit himself, that indwells us, that is guaranteeing our walk, sancti- our sanctification walk, that process of getting us more conformed to the image of the Son, and then guaranteeing the security of us being fulfilling and being culminated in having that new body, that new glorious body based upon the resurrection body of Jesus Christ. That is ours when you trust Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what happens to us literally in the suffering, in the physical part of... Uh, it, and yes, it does end in death. Everyone, there's chances every one of us will die. The rapture possibility. I'm kind of voting for the rapture, like tomorrow. And uh, I, I just want to blow this pop stand because I'm groaning. I want to get out of here. I want to go. I'm, I'm excited what God has for us. But in the meantime, let's act like Jesus. Let's act like Him. Let's help people believe more, to trust more, to fear less. Let's love our neighbor. Let's get involved in, in our neighbor's life, whatever that is. Maybe it's praying for them, just being on the phone. Maybe writing them a card. Maybe it's... And we, we've been, I was on a phone call with uh, a number of what was given as a religious leaders in, in Madison County. I had to leave early because we had another group. I had another meeting we were working on, but um, it was interesting to see that there are a lot of needs. Food banks don't have enough stuff. Uh, there's just a whole lot of things that are going on right. Now that people need our love. Jesus would be right there. I'm convinced he would be right there, and he would want us to do the same. What, what, is, what is God's purpose? To be conformed to the image of His Son. Jesus is our perfect example to be thankful. To praise God's name, to pray, 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 pray. When we start the day, pray in the middle of the day, and pray at the end of the day, and thank Him for all that's taken place. We are blessed people, blessed people. I had one closing. Oh, I know. There's one other thing I was going to share with you. Um, I think Jesus was so good at this. I I don't know. I I wrote it down. We should be giving our own lives to enrich others. Giving our lives to enrich others. That's what Jesus did. He was really, really good at it. Giving our lives to enrich others. Now next week we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit groans and He's interceding for us. But let's close with this one psalm. I think this is one that uh, fits so well today. Uh, Romans, uh, not Romans, Psalms chapter 18, another Psalm of David. What a gifted individual, one that was really... A man after God's own heart. I keep saying that, but that's where he was. Psalm chapter 18. And let's look at verses 1 and 2. I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for what you've given to us today. We thank you for the Word of God. And the fact that it can encourage us, it can lift us up, and it, Father, quite honestly, allows us to be active in a time when we're still groaning, that is, waiting earnestly, to look on our tiptoes for something we know that is waiting for us because we've tasted the first fruits, the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that is living within us. We have have Him sharing with us what's coming, the culmination of our salvation, that eternal salvation of which is so secure because it's based in your plan, Father, and the work of Jesus Christ and secured by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for the sessions that we've had in chapter 8 of Romans in understanding more fully how important the work of the Holy Spirit is. Father, we would ask for your blessing upon all of those within the hearing of my voice and, Father, Your Word, that You would protect them this week, that You would allow them to be on their journey day by day, moment by moment, hour by hour, in doing what You want them to do. Father, sometimes it's, we, we, we've learned enough to know what You want us to do, but, Father, give us the strength and the tenacity to do what You've asked us to do, to stand firm, to remain fixed and focused upon You. Thank You for what You're going to do now. We'll ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.